semester. We had one last week. We did one this week. We know of someone else that's looking to be baptized. We love filling the tank. So if God stirred something in your heart, say, I really want to make that public stand with Christ. I, you know, I accepted Christ earlier in my life. This is what happens. And then later you go on public, you go public with it. We encourage you to be in contact with us. Let me pray with you as we look into God's word for a few minutes together. Father, we bow in your presence. We're deeply grateful for the opportunity to open your word now. We pray that you would speak through your spirit, that you would invite us into all that you have for us. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you did, all that you secured, and all that rests on you. And we welcome that work now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When we read the scripture, you can't help but notice repeatedly, for the first time in the book of Exodus, but then all through the rest of the 66 books, that God is in the business of healing people. So if you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. Psalm's right in the middle of your Bible. And this is just one of these many passages that talks to us about the God who heals. The God who heals. And, and Christine read another one of those to us from Luke chapter 7. Beginning in Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1, David writes and he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. He puts the attention and the focus on the most important thing. That God would be praised, that we would recognize his holiness and who he is. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So God is holy, we praise him, and then it says in verse 3, our God is the God who forgives our sins. And so there is spiritual healing available in him. In the latter part of that verse 3, he says, but God also heals our diseases. There are physical needs that he can and does address. He heals physical issues. And then in verse 4, he said, and God redeems our life from the pit. And he's saying, God is in the business of healing emotional and psychological needs as well. Now, when we talk about this, inevitably, we have questions that arise. How does this work? How is this possible? And I want to talk to you about a, a couple of them. But first, let me tell you the story of, of Jim and Sally. It's not their real names. But Jim came to me one time and he said, I've got this serious issue on this side of my body. And what, I'm wondering if, if the elders would anoint me, as it talks about in James 5, as we are going to do later in this service, would they anoint me and pray for me for healing? And we said we'd be honored to do that. We asked him some questions like we typically do. And then we prayed with him in accordance with James chapter 5. And about a week later, uh, we were talking, and he said to me, it's very interesting. He said, as you guys prayed for me, for God to heal this issue on this side of my body, when you prayed, um, I got it checked, and absolutely nothing has happened. This issue is still a very serious issue, 
it's still there. But he said, when you prayed, I felt something move in the other side of my body. And I had another issue in my life, a physical issue, which was not nearly as bothersome or as serious as the on this side. And I hadn't mentioned it at the time. I just mentioned the one thing. But when I went and got this checked out by my doctor, he said it was completely gone. And that happened at the moment the elders prayed, and God brought healing in my life supernaturally. And it's just one of those illustrations that God's in charge. God is sovereign, and he does that sometimes. He he works in sort of mysterious ways. And at the end of the service... We're going to give you a chance to come and be prayed for. And this is something pre-pandemic we used to do at least a couple times a year. We haven't done it during the pandemic, but we're open to doing it now. And uh, at the end of the service, there's going to be stations in different sections of the sanctuary where you can come and you can be prayed for a physical need you have or a spiritual need or an emotional need. You can come on behalf of someone like the centurion did. You can come even if it's some other issue and just say, you know, I lost my job, I need a job. We'd be honored to pray for you. It's a time where we can do ministry in a very personal way. But let me talk to you about how this works from Scripture because God does have his own way of doing things. And of course, there's been times when I've prayed for people and God has said, no, not yet. But it raises a lot of questions in our mind like, Who's doing the healing? How does this happen? Why does this seemingly take place in some cases and seemingly not in others? Is there any special formula? What what part does faith play? And and, and as I often say at these times, not always, but I'm going to say it this time because it's been a while. When I preach on this, and I've preached on it many times, I've read everything the Bible has to say about it many times. I've read many books on this. I've written, academic, I've written academic papers on this. I've marked academic papers on this. I still don't have all the answers. There's still a bit of mystery because God is in charge. He's the one steering the ship. But I do know this. It's good to ask. It's good to ask. So we will pray with expectation but no agenda. We will pray uh, risking more than we're comfortable with. It's a good thing to ask. So who's the healer? Is it some guy on TV? Is it the pastor? Is it the elders? Well, certainly not. The, The text told us God is the one who does the healing. Let me refer you very quickly to another story in Scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 to 11, you can read it later. A faithful servant of God, King Hezekiah, is told by the prophet that he's going to die. And King Hezekiah prays fervently and says, I have this rich relationship with you, God, and I'm not ready to die. Would you heal me? And it says in verse 5, The prophet comes back to him and it says in verse 5, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, and I will heal you. God is the one that heals. And he adds 15 years to his length, to the longevity of this guy's life. And then it says in verse 7 that even though the one that God is the one that does the healing, he does it through the proper application of medicine. 
And the Bible says in the book of Luke that God loves to give good gifts to his children. And so medicine, for example, is a good gift. And so our ability to uh, secure knowledge and to properly apply knowledge and to gather knowledge, all a gift from God. Our ability to uh, combine sources and existing sources of things to manufacture medicines, all a gift, a good gift from God. It's not some guy on TV. It's not the person with just, if I can just wump up enough faith, somehow I can make it happen. It's not the pastor. It's not the elders. It's not some special formula. It's God and him alone who does the healing. He's the only source of our healing. Another time in the book of, and another way that God does it occasionally, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we're told, the gifts of, one of the supernatural gifts, one of the nine supernatural gifts is the gifts of healing. And God will give this gift to people. I've known a number of people with this gift who when God gives them that gift at that moment when they pray, people are supernaturally healed. Another way, which again, we're gonna practice today is in James chapter five. And it says in James chapter five, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church. So it's by your instigation. So we're going to make it available for you to come. And it's a humbling thing to come, to come and say, I have an issue um, that I need help with. And I understand only God can deal with this. And I'm going to ask him to do this. And so you can come and be prayed for. In every one of these illustrations and instances that I've given you, the bottom line is God decides when and how and if a person's going to be healed because he is God and he is the healer. And so like I said, we will risk more than we're comfortable with when we pray. We will pray in Jesus' name because it's on the basis of what he's done that we're praying and we're acting. We will pray uh, really declarative prayers. We'll pray boldly, but all at the same time, we pray very humbly and very respectfully, and yet boldly. Always remembering God decides when and how, because he is God, and he's the healer. Second question, how is it, how is it provided on what basis? It's based on the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ. And we know this if we read in the book of Isaiah, which is just a little bit to the right in your, from the book of Psalms, Isaiah chapter 53. And this is a messianic psalm written 700 years before Jesus was born, written about him, fulfilled in his life. In Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4, speaking of Christ, it says, Surely he took up our infirmities, and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, clearly, this is speaking about spiritual healing but it's also speaking about physical healing as well. And one of the ways we know this is by turning to the book of Matthew chapter 8. One of the proper hermeneutic techniques, how you properly interpret Scripture, is by using Scripture to interpret Scripture. So listen to this fulfillment 
of what is being talked about by the prophet in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, it says, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, so she's physically ill. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. There's a spiritual healing as they're dealing with uh, people that are demonized. And he drove out the spirits with a, world, with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. And so we use the New Testament in this case to interpret the Old Testament. Jesus had his body broken, his blood shed in order to save us body, soul, and spirit, physically and spiritually. And so he's able because he paid the price. And he did this on our behalf to meet our physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. You know, what follows if there's some spiritual ailments that he can't or won't heal, then it follows there's some sins that he can't or won't heal. And of course, we know that's not true. So we have this, as I've often talked to you about, which we see frequently in the scriptures, this theological concept of the already and not yet. And we see this at play again here. He decides on the timing of healing. So healing can be available now. It can be available over time. Or it's available at the resurrection. Or if it's available for us at the resurrection, we receive from him a sustaining grace, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, where God goes with us and sustains us until our ultimate healing on resurrection day. He brings the healing. It's the same thing for sin. When we receive Christ, we are forgiven, and positionally he looks at us, and he sees us as holy. We are cleansed, we are atoned for, we are redeemed, all these rich biblical words. So positionally he sees us that way, because he's seeing us through the lens of Christ. But we still live life, and so there's still this ongoing fulfillment, this not yet. And it's the same issue with healing. And so we still struggle with temptation, but um, God promises the filling of the Spirit to live, the power to live a holy life, and the grace to carry us through. What's my part? Let me say to you that even more important than your healing is that he has things he wants to teach you about trust and teach me. He has things that he wants to teach us about being conformed to the image of his son. He has things he wants to teach us about what will glorify him. These are paramount. These are the most important things, more important than healing. So what are some of the questions to ask ourselves as we approach God for healing? And I gave you a couple of these in the last couple of weeks, but let me remind you. Primarily, what do I want or need from Christ? When you come forward, if you come to one of the stations, one of the questions they will ask you is, what do you want or need from Christ? And they'll be asking for you to reply as specifically as possible so we can pray specifically. What is Jesus 
What do you sense he wants to do in your life? Secondly, is my motive in this the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this my primary concern? It says in Colossians chapter 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. So when we're followers of Jesus, we are connected with things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Thirdly, does my body belong completely to God? It says in Philippians 1, I eagerly expect, Paul writes, and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will be, have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Sometimes, and we may ask you questions about this, sometimes there's things that we're doing, inappropriate choices that are the cause and the root, not always, but sometimes, of the affliction we're going through. So sometimes God will lay that on our heart as elders, as leaders, to ask that kind of question. Lastly, has God revealed any sin that I've not dealt with? Any specific, it'll never be vague, it'll never be general, any specific sin that I've not dealt with. God likes to work with surrendered, clean vessels. So we can read about that and say, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What's going to happen as we do this here in just a couple minutes? I'm going to be done in just a couple minutes. We're going to sing right after I'm done. And as we're singing, the people that I've invited to help with this, we're going to set four little stations up around the room, two at the front and two in the back corners. Um, after we sing, uh, Steph's going to come and do some announcements and pray. And then they'll just put some music, some background music on so that in a sense when you come, you're coming publicly, but you're coming privately. No one will hear you except the people in the little group. Um, you're welcome to stay even if you're not coming forward. You're welcome to stay in here and just to pray. You won't hear what's going on, but you can pray for the people that are involved. And, but if it's time for you to go or, or you want to go visit with your friends, which is cool too, just go out in the lobby, they'll close the doors, and then we'll carry on in here. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come now. And as you come, remember, we're going to pray in Jesus' name. We're going to pray bold, declarative prayers, yet very respectfully, and we will never be demanding because we understand he's God, not us. We're going to pray risking more than our comfort zone. We're going to pray with an expectancy, but without an agenda. We are going to trust Jesus for healing now, maybe a little bit later, or maybe it will be on Resurrection Day. So as we sing, let's just get those little areas set up.